You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bobin Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is March 16th, 2022. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bobin, it's starting to become beautiful in Boston. I am uh, super excited. I took a little walk today um, before the recording of this podcast because I just got to start getting outside. What are you up to? Nice. I'm excited too. Like I'm loving those post 6.30, 6.45 sunsets. Uh, daylight saving is officially done. I don't know. I don't remember if it's started or ended, but whatever this is, keep it at it as is. I also saw um, US Senate passed a law that yeah. uh, they don't want to mess with daylight saving. And I was like, yes, now they I just saw that. To. I saw that. I was just going to bring that up. I uh, that, that gets me so excited, actually. Yeah. No longer do we need to like flip back and forth. Ah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think a lot of people will be excited about that. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's it comes up in our Slack all the time of like, yeah. FYI, now you have, you know, this other one hour difference for a short <laughs> period of time. And then your friends in the EU will, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I still have um, to explain my parents back in India that like, usually it's either a one thirty, one one and a half hour worth of difference in the time zone, like day and night. But And then when it flips over, it's two and a half hours. So like we have to coordinate that timing. So if it's one thing, I can explain it once and just let it go. <laughs> it would, I think it would make life easier. That's, that's obviously our opinion, of course. Um, so yeah. today's topic, we have uh, Postgres on Kubernetes. But before mm -hmm. we dive into that, which is an exciting topic, we have a great guest today. Um, but we have a little bit of news to talk about. Why don't you kick it off? Yeah, sure. So uh, the one thing that I had a few things to talk about. The first one being uh, if you are a VMware customer or if you have been using the vSphere CSI driver, there's a new version out called uh, called version 2.5. And good news is, is now that it supports CSI snapshots for block volumes. So if you are using your VMware storage policy-based management or SPBM approaches and provisioning those persistent volumes on your vSAN or VMFS data stores, now you can create uh, snapshots for those persistent volumes from inside Kubernetes. And with this new version, they added a couple of components. One is a snapshot controller that actually takes, uh, like, uh, is responsible for the creation and deletion of snapshots and then binding the volume snapshot with the volume snapshot contents uh, that backs it. And then the second component is like a new sidecar that they added to their pod called CSI Snapshotter, which actually triggers this operation. So now finally we have CSI snapshots in the VMware ecosystem. Uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the new operator that Datastax introduced, uh, or just not, not completely new, just enhancement to an existing Cassandra or K8 Sandra operator, which now allows uh, users to provision Cassandra clusters uh, across multiple Kubernetes clusters. So that's quite interesting. And I think, Ryan, we already have uh, a, 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 a thing set up with Patrick from data stacks to come on this podcast and talk about that in detail. So I won't go into too much detail, but that's an, another interesting announcement from the past week. Yes, we do. Yes. And then uh, last thing was around security. Uh, and there was a new CVE. It was 2022-0847. Uh, it's called the Dirty Pipe CVE. And it's basically a vulnerability that allows users uh, on a Linux system to overwrite the contents of, of a file or a container image that they can only read but shouldn't be able to write to. So like if you only had read-only access with this vulnerability, you can actually modify things. So attacks can be around like if somebody gets access to your pods running on your Kubernetes cluster and if they share a container image, they can make changes to that container image 
and affect all your other workloads. Uh, there is a fix available. Uh, so again, we'll share a link to Aqua Security's blog around it. Uh, so make sure you have your environments updated. But yeah, that's it for me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That's, uh, damn, that's not a good one. Definitely want to go patch that one up <laughs> for sure. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a few things for news for me. Uh, the first one is the KubeCon EU schedule is officially out. Um, we are going to plug ourselves. There is a day zero event on the 17th. Um, we have a Kubernetes data workshop, uh, which we will link to in the show notes. Um, all really about understanding how cloud native data works on Kubernetes. We'll be actually using Portworx and doing some labs and understanding some of the things that you have to you know think about when deploying stateful applications on Kubernetes. So a lot of fun there. Um, the other one is the uh, secret store CSI, CSI driver. Um, there's a webinar link that we'll provide. But really, this CSI driver is um, your non-traditional CSI driver. If you think about CSI drivers in the, in the aspect of storage, this one's all about secrets, of course. Um, so it is a sort of standard way of working with many other secrets providers to be able to use a single CSI driver to interact with them, which is um, actually a pretty interesting concept uh, kind of treating external secrets just like a piece of storage. It really is storing something, just storing something mm -hmm. that's um, secure. Oh, I need to register for that. Yeah, uh, definitely yeah. a good one. And uh, the last one is just a link to a YouTube uh, uh, video, and it's 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 titled "What is a Kubernetes Controller?" I think this is an interesting <laughs> video. It's thirty five seconds long, and it's really just someone holding this physical box and explaining mm -hmm. what a Kubernetes controller does. Now, we did uh, some episodes on operators, and I think at a very basic level, this video does a really good job. It's kind of it's a little silly, um, but at the same it's time, for the people in our audience who are who use TikTok and Instagram Reels a lot, like this is the video for them to understand how Kubernetes operators work. Listen, you know, I you know, power to the person who did this. Um, I actually think it's kind of interesting, but mm -hmm. it, it explains it at a very basic level. So we'll throw that link in there as well. I'm just jealous how you find keep finding these interesting videos and blogs. Like I, I still laugh from time to time about that Nubernetes thing that you found out. <laughs> it's such a fun thing to say. I still love saying it. Nubernetes. Oh, man. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's get into our topic then. Mm -hmm. um, today's topic, Postgres on Kubernetes. And we have uh, Gabrielle uh, Bartolini. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm saying that right, Gabrielle. And he is a Postgres and Kubernetes enthusiast. He's a VP of Cloud Native at EDB um, and a co-founder of Postgres SQL Europe and a founding member of Barman, a backup tool for uh, Postgres. He was previously the head of global support and co-founder of Second Quadrant. Uh, where um, he consistently contributed to the growth of that organization before it is now part of EDB mm -hmm. um, and all about the DevOps culture in Kubernetes. So we're really excited to have him on the show. Um, let's get him on here. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the show, Gabriel. It's nice to have you here on Kubernetes Bytes. We ask all our guests the same question when we first dive into it. You know, welcome and tell us about yourself and what you do. Hi, Ryan. Thank you. So I work for EDB. Uh, EDB is the largest contributing company to the open source Postgres project, PostgreSQL project. I'm the VP and CTO for uh, Cloud Native uh, at EDB, and my goal is to primarily foster the adoption of Postgres in Kubernetes with a DevOps mindset. Uh, previously, uh, I co-founded Second Quadrant, 
which was a well-known Postgres uh, company operating from 2008 to uh, 2020, when it was acquired by, by EDB. And at the time, EDB was uh, our major competitor. So while at, at Second Quadrant, I, I covered several roles, and these include, for example, head of global support and infrastructure. Talking about my background, uh, it's computer programming, statistics, and uh, data warehousing. So I also studied business management, uh, entrepreneurship, and strategic leadership. And uh, this led me to actually fall in love with uh, DevOps and uh, the DevOps culture and uh, pretty much founded my entire career on uh, teamwork as a way to address and innovate in, in our complex world. And awesome. uh, yeah, yeah. So. I, I was listening to one of the data on Kubernetes talk that you did with Bart, and I learned that you have been working with Postgres for the, like since its kind of inception, right? Like, the, and that just blew my mind. Like, okay, I, I don't know anyone else who has been involved in a specific community for more than 20 years. So tell us about like, uh, how how did you start working with Postgres and like where are we now kind of a thing? Yeah, okay. So uh, basically I fell in love with open source. Okay, mm -hmm. so it was the 1990s. I fell in love with Linux and, you know, it was the time of the internet. Okay, uh, and the internet opened up, you know, this amazing and unprecedented learning opportunity. So I actually started with MySQL, you know, I don't want to go into details, but I was <laughs> working in the open, in the search engines area and link checking area. And uh, I remember that uh, I tried to use MySQL, uh, the new engine for foreign key support. And I actually ended up losing all the data. And because at the time, you know, my friends, my friends at the local Linux user group, uh, and one of them, you know, Marco, is a colleague of mine uh, at EDB. He was he kept telling me, you know, just switch to Postgres, just switch to Postgres. I loved Postgres; it was fascinating. Okay, so that 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 gave me the opportunity to to definitely move to to PostgreSQL. So nice. yeah, and, was... and from there, uh, yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. From there, basically, I started to to promote Postgres in Italy, and uh, uh, I organized. Um, together with other other friends at the local city, local you know my home city Prato, you know the local uh, user group uh, Linux user group, we organized uh, 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 the first event of Postgres uh, in Europe in 2007, and that you know in that occasion uh, more than 200 people came to my city from all over the world. That's how I got in touch with the with the um, community and that's how we funded founded for example uh the the european postgres association for postgres called postgres europe which now organizes the major conferences in in, in europe for postgres awesome like how was the migration from mysql to postgres like uh, how, how big was the installation what did you do what was it running on Okay, so yeah, I was I was uh, developing this uh, link checker uh, uh, called HD HD check. So I was the main developer, and I was uh, you know it was a spider that would just crawl uh, a website and all the links and storing the information in in uh, in uh, MySQL. And uh, yeah, no, basically it, it was probably my, my mistake, you know, when I, when I moved to the InnoDB engine, but because Postgres already had support for views, for foreign keys, you know, indexes. And uh, yeah, that gave me, that was like the, the, the event that triggered my definite move. Makes sense. So I think, you know, since we're Kubernetes Bytes here, the obvious questions that I want to ask is, you know, you've been involved with Postgres for quite a while. Uh, containers have been sort of, uh, you know, mainstream since sort of the uh, beginning of 2000s into where we are now with Kubernetes. So where did, you, where did that journey start in containerized Postgres and now Postgres and Kubernetes or cloud-native Postgres? Okay, so... Um... 
um, basically, uh, you know, after after the community, you know, my my um, community involvement, I I was able, I was lucky to start a company with uh, you know called Second Quadrant with Simon Riggs, and uh, you know I was able to uh, basically. Um, experience uh, an unprecedented volume and scale of databases you know we were, we suddenly you know I, I thought i had been managing large databases until i started to work with second quadrant and uh, so we, we actually with simon and the rest of the team you know we were you know uh, two or three people at the start we ended up with more than 120 people in 12 years before edb acquired us we did a lot of things. We improved Postgres, and we also, for example, uh, I uh, I started um, an open source tool for backup and recovery called Barman, uh, and so on. So I think you know we have been living you know a lot of a lot of history of Postgres. So um, and one of the most important capabilities of Postgres has always been this capacity to adapt. To the world around around Postgres, okay. Mm-hmm. So that, so I think I think that's how the Kubernetes thing happened. So for example, I can give you some examples. Um, around 2000, you know, XML came out, so everyone thought that you know that was the ultimate solution for managing data, you know. And what Postgres did was actually introduce support, native support for XML and XPath. Okay, same thing, you know, with NoSQL. Everyone thought that NoSQL would kill SQL, and uh, but what Postgres did was to actually learn from the need of unstructured data, and it actually introduced native support for JSON, enabling multimodal databases uh, that could hold both structured and unstructured data and be queried via SQL. Then you know we had you know primarily Postgres was used when I started in bare metal. Uh, situations where we used to uh, cram a single uh, physical instance with multiple Postgres server servers listening right. to different network interfaces or TCP ports, and each of them working on separate volumes that were mapped to different uh, disk disk spindles in hardware read controllers. That that's how it used to be. Then VMs came out. And we started to think, you know, about creating multiple VMs with similar, you know, similar installations of one instance per, per VM. So, you know, around 2015, that's where, where I started to actually work more closely with containers. And I remember the first times I, I was talking about running Postgres in containers, I was, you know, people would that I was crazy. Okay. <laughs> so, Stateful apps were not as popular back then. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so and uh, and then you know we know the, the the you know the story of Kubernetes. You know the standardization role that uh, it, it played. You know it played. You know so. But I think that it was in 2019 when we uh, saw that local persistent volume support was introduced. And probably this general adoption of the operator pattern, that's where we actually thought, okay, this is probably the right moment for us to to jump in. So at second quarter, we started in 2019. Yeah, I think it was August 2019, an exploratory initiative to understand whether with a fail-fast approach, you know, whether this was feasible. Mm-hmm. So the, the the first, the first attempt we did was to run Postgres clusters in bare metal Kubernetes with shared nothing architecture. So think about having, you know, three physical nodes with local disk, mm-hmm. and each node would was dedicated to run a single Postgres instance. Okay, so um, many thought that you know even this was. Kind of an anti-pattern in Kubernetes. You know, you have Kubernetes. Why do you want to dedicate a node? But we actually obtained impressive results, and uh, I remember I published a blog post that became quite popular mm-hmm. about about this. We were using uh, we used OpenEBS at the time, and we discovered mm-hmm. that we were able to go as fast as bare metal. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's when we understood that. Kubernetes was not only feasible, but for us, the way to go. I had never seen 
uh, Fosgus high availability than uh, the way it's done in Kubernetes. That, that's my, my opinion. So even for that, you pretty much have the full range from you know, a shared environment uh, where you, know, you, you share the node with other workloads mm -hmm. and you even share the storage to you know, the high-performing, dedicated, uh, even bare metal installation uh, and run Postgres, uh, Postgres in it. So, so that's, that's how the operator, our operator started. Gotcha. And like high availability definitely is one of the benefits, but uh, like according to your experience from running Postgres on Kubernetes from 2019, what are some of the other benefits that DBAs out there can get if they just switch to switch their databases and run it on Kubernetes? So, uh, yeah, I would say that the main benefit is to actually run Postgres inside Kubernetes, not yeah, not on Kubernetes, but inside, oh. inside Kubernetes. So it, it so to put it simply, it means being cloud native mm -hmm. and taking advantage of all the DevOps principles and capabilities when you act, when you try and build uh, microservice-based applications that also extend to the database. Mm -hmm. This includes, for example, automated pipelines for continuous integration and delivery and security and so on. So the idea is that application, the main benefit for me is that application developers end up owning their application database and for example, can track schema changes via migration. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about cloud native, I, in my, you know, that, that's what I've been thinking for, you know, for the last few years, it's pretty much three things. Uh, an organizational uh, culture that is founded on DevOps principles. Mm -hmm. okay, so I think that's that's the kind of mindset that then originates. You know, you know the requirement of microservice architectures that are based on Kubernetes, on on containers. Sorry, yeah. this is the second one. And the third one is that these containers need to be managed by a container orchestrator. And mm -hmm. today, you know, the de facto solution is Kubernetes. So I think it's more a philosophical or, or organizational uh, reason. So, uh, okay. yeah. What about some of the challenges? Like, uh, have you seen like while working with customers or while just talking to people in the community, what are some of the challenges that people face yeah. when they try such a migration? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the challenges are, are, are two in my opinion, okay? <laughs> When you run Postgres on Kubernetes, you need to know both Postgres and Kubernetes. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. So I think those skills are, are required. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think sometimes there's probably an underestimation of, of the skills required by Kubernetes. We think like, like it's an autopilot kind of system. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of benefits, but still you need those skills. So mm -hmm. if both are not possible, in my opinion, and this probably depends on the on the selected operator for Postgres that you have. I think that it makes more sense to uh, invest in the bottom layers. So, for example, Kubernetes, understanding Kubernetes and what's underneath Kubernetes. So this can vary from organization to organization. It could be public cloud, private cloud, self-managed Kubernetes, provider-managed Kubernetes, OpenShift, uh, range or whatever. You know. So I mm -hmm. think. I would, I would concentrate on getting the skills there. And the next challenge is, of course, to run Postgres. And in my opinion, from what I can see, is that the more we go, we move forward, and the more I see similarities with the bare metal and virtualized environments. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, again, storage is the most critical component. And uh, we cannot proceed from uh, benchmarking uh, in the capacity planning and decision making process, mm -hmm. so so that's my my nice. that's the biggest challenges. And if, for example, there are professional, of course, professional Postgres organizations that can help with benchmarking as well. You know, uh, other organization for Kubernetes and so on. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I think you know to fully realize you know the benefits of Postgres on Kubernetes, you have to kind of take on those additional complexities, kind of what you're saying yeah. of, of Kubernetes to really understand the DevOps workflows and what they do to the 
uh, organization. Yep. You know, that being said, if an organization isn't bought in on, you know, those principles, you know, why not run Postgres somewhere else or something like that would be maybe a question you'd ask yourself. Now, yeah. um, you know, some of the benefits you say is combining these two uh, technologies, right? The Kubernetes stack and Postgres itself. Now, if you don't happen to really fully understand that Kubernetes stack, is there an easy button, right? Do operators get us there? Um, or are there other, um, you know, projects that you've worked with that, you know, tend to help the DevOps teams wanting to deploy these, the Postgres themselves uh, get further along without fully grasping Kubernetes? Uh, well, I mean, my personal view is that uh, we still need to understand Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, because if things go, you know, as, you know, smoothly, there's, of course, you, you don't need that. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, th I think Kubernetes, and I always suggest, for example, to get to, to foster CKA exams, you know, taking mm -hmm. certifications, right. not because I believe in certifications, but I think mm -hmm. it's important to have a common dictionary, common vocabulary within the organization. So to be everyone at the same, like of understanding of yep. the concept. Makes sense. But yeah, I would, yeah, I would invest in Kubernetes. But of course the operators are, you know, what, what can actually help uh, mitigate these, you know, complexities, as you were saying. Yeah, they definitely do help. And we've done a few episodes on operators and I, I would love to get your opinion on, you know, where do you think operators are in their own life cycle? Because they are generally newer and they're definitely being adopted um, by companies like EDB and, and others as sort of the standard way to deliver or deploy. So where, where are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I can talk about primarily Postgres operators and, you know, uh, you know, I can talk without without making too much uh, um, publicity to 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 our operator. I can talk about you know the concepts behind mm -hmm. you know our our operator, what we have been following, and and the mindset again, you know the kind of DevOps mindset that led us to develop a, a, a new operator, and uh, which by the way we we are considering open sourcing you know in the future. So you know. I'm really looking forward to that. Anyway, uh, the con I think the operator pattern, as, as we know, is is uh, is probably the, the the best way at the moment to to um, automate the steps that a human operator, you know, would manually manually do in order to react to unexpected yeah. events or control uh, planned ones, and that's. For example, Postgres is a complex application, especially if you want to manage that in a in a highly available and, and under business continuity requirements, which is pretty much the norm the norm for Postgres today. So, and the if you think about that, it's all about reconciling a, an object or a group of objects like a Postgres cluster, where you've got a primary and one or multi zero multiple uh, standbys. Mm -hmm to a desired state when the current state is diverging. And this is what I kind of found fascinating about, about Kubernetes. So, gotcha. so what we did was actually try and, and um, apply all the concepts that we built across you know, 20 years experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so all the manual steps that we were doing when, for example, Postgres was going down, we had to, you know, Restarted, you know, change the IPs. So if we were using virtual IPs or other techniques, we had to do all of that. And we said, uh, Kubernetes has got everything. You know, <laughs> Kubernetes is the source of truth for everything. You know, we don't have to talk about the DNS, you know, and if something goes bad, you know, we had to. It's all about the state and the concept of state reconciliation loop. So that's, I think, what made us, it was a gut feeling. That, that probably was the, the ultimate uh, way to achieve business continuity with Postgres. And I still believe that. Gotcha. So, so uh, my next question is around like uh, running Postgres on Kubernetes. We, we spoke about that, but uh, talking to people in the community or customers, what kind of deployments do you see? Like, is it uh, people have just one big Postgres instance on a Kubernetes cluster and then they try to create multiple databases and share that across teams or it's, 
more of okay you have different postgres instances on the same or multiple clusters like how does that topology look like yeah. how are people doing it yeah i think i mean the reason for that i think is in the way postgresql implements uh, for example replication which is the foundation of of uh, uh, like fresh recovery continuous backup point in time recovery for standby host standby physical stream replication and and even logical uh, replication you know i mean postgres replication is 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 fascinating so um yeah, so I think that uh, because the way it's done, it's uh, at instance level. So if you have 10 databases, for example, this, uh, what the transaction logs, they are shared, you know, in the mm -hmm. single transaction log. So again, following the DevOps mindset, following the microservice architecture, our advice is to uh, separate the instances. So each okay. instance has... A, a their own the, a one single database which is the application database so that developers own that instance okay they can decide when to update postgres to a major release for example mm -hmm. when to back it up if there's a problem because somebody deleted a table or you know did a you know a wrong update or delete you can restore that to the point in time previous to that mm -hmm. operation okay so i think in my my preferred way is again the microservice approach so have several instances uh, a cluster of one database so um with for example a primary and two standbys mm -hmm. and each database uh, being a separate cluster spread across nodes and uh, you know my favorite my recommended approach for better predictability is to have a dedicated nodes for Postgres. So if you have, you know, if you know, database must be seen, in my opinion, as a, as a, as the most important um, asset, uh, you know, for your your application and and your company in some cases. So um, so I think you know having dedicated nodes is is uh, the recommended approach. And yeah, thank you for those suggestions. Right, like having these distributed or or following the microservices pattern and cloud native approach yeah. also helps like reduce the blast radius but also gives everybody this that sense of ownership right okay you can deploy it on your own and you can manage it on your own and, um, and think about integrating that into a ci cd pipeline so that the developers you know you can take advantage of infrastructure abstraction you know have everything in the pipeline you know do the test you know and then continuous delivery and continuous deployment if everything goes fine, you know, with the test and and, and so on. So. Yeah, makes sense. I know, you know, big part of what you're talking about is sort of business continuity and yeah. how do you, you know, also do things like backups and how do you protect what's actually running in that Kubernetes cluster? You know, I know EDB has its own sort of backup, uh, you know, uh, services within an operator, but you know, there are other solutions out there as well in terms of being able to take backups of containerized applications like Postgres. You know, where do you find um, the sweet spot for, I guess, providing those types of data protection and backup services for something like Postgres? You know, um, you know, I th I think specifically if you're only running Postgres in your shop, I think obviously using tools um, that are specific to Postgres, but many of these shops, as you just talked about, running microservices and they may have, you know, Postgres and a bunch of other databases. So, you know, just looking for your opinion on, on that topic. Yeah, so of course, you know, <laughs> you know, knowing Postgres uh, very well and trusting Postgres a lot, you know, to me, you know, the, the prime directive is protect data, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, data is the most important asset. And also the way, for example, we have developed our operator. Our operator, for example, that doesn't use uh, stateful sets. We mm -hmm. actually manage, um, you know, our own way persistent volumes. And we also rely on, on the Kubernetes API uh, server to keep the status of, of the cluster. So this concept of... of uh, the data volume that is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's is uh, reflected in the way we suggest, for example, to do backups and uh, and uh, even DR. 
you know, the most common approach is to uh, in Kubernetes is to rely on the storage uh, uh, layer for for replication and for mm -hmm. backups and you know snapshots, snapshotting and DR. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's fine. But I think because of the level and the quality and the robustness of of uh, the replication system, that native replication system that Postgres has which uh, uh, is shared by crash recovery, as I was saying before, continuous backup and you know, synchronous, asynchronous, cascading replication mm -hmm. and even logical replication. My advice is to stick to the up, kind of application level uh, replication and, and disaster recovery, meaning, meaning to use the native uh, PostgreSQL replication uh, mechanism. So for example, uh, in terms of data protection, I, you know, especially I'm, I'm European, so you know that from 2018, uh, GDPR, you know, has actually at least, you know, one of the good aspects is that it made us aware uh, of that problem. Okay, we can criticize GDPR, but I think I'm really happy about that. Uh, so data protection is, is a fundamental uh, right for every citizen that comes from Europe. And unfortunately, for example, Postgres does not implement transparent data encryption yet, even though you know you can use some software from vendors, and they're talking about implementing this in, in the future. But um, in most cases, the a mix of, for example, the adoption of encryption in transit, encryption at rest, and maybe even sensible uh, adoption of grant and revoke. Um, I think you can get very, very good level. Also, Postgres supports column level permissions. So in my mm -hmm. opinion, if you use encryption in transit with, uh, for example, uh, TLS uh, certificates and client authentication with Postgres support. And for encryption at rest, we, we can delegate that to the storage class. So delegate that to, you know, for example, storage solutions like, uh, at, you know, um, very um, um, solution that is used a lot, for example, with our operator is Portworx, for example, mm -hmm. for these kind of problems. I think I think you are fine. And when it comes when it comes to backup and and disaster recovery, um, I, I would I would normally recommend using the the, the Postgres uh, way of doing this. So that you can control yeah. RPO and and mm -hmm. RTO. So use for example, point in time recovery you to 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 restore to a point in time to a timestamp or a transaction before before the disaster. Gotcha. Thank you. Like it makes sense, right? Like uh, if if Postgres is the only database you're running, having or looking at that application first approach makes perfect sense. Uh, we we have spoken about like the history piece, but I wanted to also know about okay, what what do you see next? What's happening in the Postgres and Kubernetes ecosystem? I know we have KubeCon coming up in like a couple of months. Yeah. A month. Uh, I think it's more a social kind of evolution. I think it's. Um, I'm really looking forward to get more involvement from the Postgres community. Okay, so get. I mean, participate to the to the kind of uh, more cooperation to more cooperation between these uh, these communities, and I think also. Uh, the reaction, I think, yeah, the reaction the DBAs will 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 have, you know. So I think there will be kind of a reshaping of the DBA role, mm -hmm. and because Kubernetes is becoming more more uh, more adopted. So I think this is one uh, topic, and uh, yeah, I'm looking looking forward for a more more adoption of Postgres with, within Kubernetes. So. Nice. Then you know I can tell about, for example, our the plans for our operator, but I don't know if they, they are interesting. You know, sure, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, basically, we our operator we're planning, you know, to to um, make it easier for uh, for. Um, so we were talking about the complexity also for backups and and, mm -hmm. and before. Um, yeah, I think Bavin, you were mentioning, you know, if you if you use just Postgres, you know, in Kubernetes, 
it might, it might make sense. But the idea is to actually have an operator that simplifies the, com the underneath complexity mm -hmm. and uh, actually with a clear interface with declarative configuration, for example, enable you to perform, for example, even the most complex point-in-time recovery uh, solution. So um, we have been working on... on uh, on the replica cluster concept, for example, the replica cluster is uh, is uh, another cluster that is in continuous replication, and that can in an, in another, for example, Kubernetes cluster. And uh, the the fascinating thing is that PostgreSQL can uh, support um, replication even without a direct uh, connection okay, between the primary and and this and like understand by just by relaying on on the wall files that are archived so the idea is to have for example one kubernetes cluster in one data center with mm -hmm. uh, for example three nodes in three different availability zones mm -hmm. that back up in a local object store in the same region mm -hmm. and then, ha then have another cluster postgres cluster in another region that is using the wall files from that same bucket in the other region to actually be in continuous recovery. So because uh, the wall files are archived every time they are filled, so normally there are 16 megabytes of transaction uh, logs, or you can change that. Um, if, in, uh, if you don't get to, to fill them up, you can, for example, every five minutes, close them and archive them. So you have a predictable RPO, okay? So these, these kind of solution can rely on file shipping uh, technologies and, and be, let's say, five to 10 minutes delayed mm -hmm. maximum. So okay. That's a great idea, right? Like uh, I think last week, Datastax uh, enhanced their operator, which allows this multi-cluster, single Cassandra cluster deployment. So I'm, I'm excited that even Postgres is thinking about that and like we'll have such... Uh, again, there will be a five to ten minutes of RPO, but that's still good enough to have like a cross yeah. region or cross country exactly. replication. And with no, with no, with no, yeah, direct connection. And you can have three, for example, in different regions, three, four, with the same symmetric architecture, so that at any time, in case of disaster, that can become the primary primary cluster. So we're working on these. So we're, you know, we're hoping to improve, for example. Uh, the scalability uh, of Postgres within one node, you know, better log integration with, the, uh, for example, the most common Kubernetes uh, logging tools, and and looking forward to you know the federation problem to be solved mm -hmm. in, in in Kubernetes once and for all. Multi-cluster sig, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's already. <laughs> It's already difficult for me to stay focused in Postgres, you know. But, you know, that's a good way of Kubernetes. I think if we follow standards, each one can focus on their own topic and, and the whole community will, will benefit. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Agreed, absolutely. Well, we're at about the 30-minute mark, so I, we do want to give you the opportunity to you know, give us a little bit of where people can get started with Postgres on Kubernetes, where they can find out more. Anything you have here would be super helpful. Yeah, okay. So I think for the Kubernetes part, I think you guys are the place where <laughs> to start with. And, you know, the Kubernetes, you know, the Kubernetes documentation and, you know, there's plenty of resources. CKA is my recommendation. But for Postgres, you know, there's the documentation, postgresql.org. It's very well written and very exhaust exhaustive. Yeah. And uh, another good source is uh, Planet Postgres which is a, a blog aggregator uh, available from postgresql.org that collects articles from the best Postgres experts uh, in the world. There's also a few, I suggest a few books about, about 
Postgres. And the last one actually has been published by my colleague and friend, Simon Riggs. And I, I, I participated to the second edition of, of that book. And then, you know, there will be Postgres events, uh, you know, COVID permitting. So I, yeah. I encourage anyone. Then we are talking about Postgres in Kubernetes and on Kubernetes uh, in the data on Kubernetes community. Mm -hmm. So the URL is doc.dok.community. Uh, so I encourage to participate to that community that um, uh, promotes the adoption of data workloads in, mm -hmm. in Kubernetes and is affiliated with CNCF. So yeah, data on Kubernetes is such an active community that like they publish so much content with experts from all different verticals that it's hard for me personally to keep up. Like every day there will be a new YouTube stream. And I was like, okay, I need to add this to watch later and then just come back and keep doing the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of me, you know, webinars. And yeah. the, the, what I like of the community is that we are actually trying to see databases uh, as a special kind of applications. So yep. They can coexist in the same cluster. So there's actually, an, uh, I suggest to, uh, if you're participating to KubeCon, mm -hmm. there's the data on Kubernetes day, which is scheduled, uh, I think, the, May the 16th. I think it's part of the community events of, of KubeCon Europe in Valencia. So I'll be there. So I'd love to meet everyone. Uh, so if, you, if you're there, you know, make sure you, pass by the EDB booth, I'll be excited to chat with you Absolutely. and talk about Postgres and Kubernetes in general. Yeah. We, we definitely will. We are actually, shameless plug, having a, um, a Kubernetes data workshop on the 17th. So if you are interested in that, uh, we'll be kind of doing that uh, sort of in the same sort of vein as data and Kubernetes. Yep. We'll be participating in that day, of course, as well. So uh, a lot of good, exciting day zero. Well, I guess it's day... Um, uh, day zero and day 0.5 or something like that because there's two days before <laughs> before uh, KubeCon start, which is typically only one. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Gabriel, it was a pleasure to have you on. I think I learned a lot personally, and um, I think our uh, listeners will as well. Uh, th thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Bavin. You know, it was you know. A pleasure uh, and an honor for me to be here. So thank you. Awesome. And we want you back whenever you release that multi-cluster functionality. I would love to like dive deep into it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, if we end up open sourcing, you know, yeah. one day, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, take care. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Ciao. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, that was a great conversation with Gabriel, like... I even I had to like take some notes on the side uh, because there were so many good takeaways. So Ryan, why do you, why don't you kick us off and then we can add our own thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think you know some of the the topics we talked about today were really hitting home and, and really specifically looking at a lot of the staple applications that we talk about a lot in the show um, today. Obviously about Postgres, um, but one of the things Gabriel talked about was around sort of the DevOps culture and what it means to an organization and um, needing buy-in for both the Kubernetes and the Postgres level of, of, of technologies to really benefit, right? So I know we've talked about organizationally, um, you know, taking on microservices and, and uh, breaking apart a monolith changes your organization, or at least it should. Mm -hmm. um, you can't just throw a monolith at a Kubernetes <laughs> container, which, you know, unfortunately we have seen um, attempts to do. Um, but, you know, this point being that, you know, taking on DevOps culture, really buying in and understanding Kubernetes, mm -hmm. and then uh, really um, adopting Postgres and Kubernetes is how you get the full potential of running something like Postgres on. That one was definitely a good snippet that I thought about. Yeah, and then it helped us. Like it, it, he tied it in with the challenges that people face when they try to run Postgres on Kubernetes without understanding 
how Kubernetes works or without actually buying into the DevOps mindset, right? So if you're just, uh, if you're using Postgres and you, you you might think from reading some blogs out there, oh, I can use operators and just deploy it and get a head start. Uh, that might backfire if you are running it in production. Like it, it's a great way to get started in test dev, but for production, you should understand how those underlying components work. So uh, that was a great point. Agreed. And then from a benefits perspective, right, tying it back to like challenges when we discussed, uh, uh, the one thing that I liked the way he highlighted was when you're running Postgres on Kubernetes, everything comes built in. So you don't have to worry about IP addresses. You don't have to worry about DNS. You don't have to worry about HA. All of those things are included when you deploy Postgres on Kubernetes. So if you are going down that path, you will see start seeing these benefits as you progress through the through the journey. Yeah, and I think the emphasis on Kubernetes being sort of the source of truth for state, really emphasizing state and how effectively as an operator of Postgres, you can you know, worry less about managing these things because Kubernetes really does a lot of that for you. So in the case of failure, you're, um, you're really focusing on uh, making sure that that data is safe rather mm -hmm. than also worrying about discoverability and IP address changes and all those things. So um, yeah, definitely insightful there. Uh, the other bit I definitely want to take out of this, which was around data protection, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of data protection solutions out there. We talk a lot about uh, backup and disaster recovery on this podcast. Um, but one tidbit, which was really having um, a solution that can understand the application at hand, meaning it should um, understand uh, how to do, say, a backup at a database specific level, right? Mm -hmm. Not just taking only a snapshot of that volume, should be able to reach in to something like Postgres, understand how to use maybe some tooling that's you know, within that pod or container um, to really uh, get the specific needs that maybe Postgres has around RPO and RTO and, and those kind of things. So lots of good information here. I know. Uh, like one last thing that I wanted to highlight was when we asked him about, about how people are running Postgres on Kubernetes and how, or how they should be running, one of the things that he like laid it out so clearly was uh, Postgres, if you have an instance, all different databases running inside Postgres will share a single transaction log. So if you're worrying about uh, re replicas and failover, or if you're worrying about data protection, uh, that might not be the best scenario. So if you're running it on running Postgres on Kubernetes, ideally just deploy individual instances, one application database per Postgres instance, and just use the multi-tenancy feature available in Kubernetes and do it that way rather than having a really big Postgres instance and having 100 databases inside that. So uh, just to keep in mind for people who are thinking about Postgres on Kubernetes. Absolutely. Well, with that, I want to reiterate, um, you know, for all those listening to definitely go ahead and leave us a review wherever you can leave us a review um, or check out our uh, anchor web page. And we do have a new web page, which we will link here, which you can find out all about the uh, podcast as well. We encourage you sending us a message or giving us feedback so we know that we're tackling the right things on the show. Um, in a couple of weeks, we have a show on EBP. F. Yeah, that's the hot thing right now in the ecosystem, right? So I wanted to like get somebody from the eBPF community and, and not just talk about like storage in eBPF, but also focus on like, okay, what is eBPF? What do we need to know? And how, how does it apply inside Kubernetes? So Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's some days year of events around eBPF as well. So mm -hmm. oh, great. That's exciting. Um, and with that, uh, thanks for joining today's episode. I'm Ryan. I'm Harvin. And thanks for listening to Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast.